0: Good morning. It's February 1st at 1035 a.m. in the East Coast. This is this week's edition of the TDN Writer's Room podcast brought to you by our friends at Keeneland. I'm Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the Thoroughbred Daily News and the co-host of the Down the Stretch radio show on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday at 10 a.m. to 1 Eastern Channel 85.
1: And I'm Randy Moss with uh, NBC Sports, fresh off our telecast of the Pegasus World Cup.
2: Zoe Catman here with Santa Anita, First Racing and XBTV. And woohoo! Dry January is over, guys. This is just, <laughs> funny, but, you know.
0: Is this get sloshed February, uh, Zoe?
2: <laughs> Monsoon February, at least for <laughs> the first
0: week. <laughs> okay.
2: Don't tell the buses that.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I know, guys, we get sick of the talk about Haiza. And sometimes it is just like, you know, driving a nail into your skull because it's, you know, it's, Can be tedious, it's complicated, it's frustrating, etc. But there was another big development in the Haiza saga on uh, what today is Wednesday, so that would have been yesterday, Tuesday. And back in court, so here's the background if you remember. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals said it was unconstitutional because the Federal Trade Commission did not have enough authority and Haiza had all the authority. The Haiza folks went back, got the laws changed, and the wording in the law changed around to make it as if. Uh, well, not as if, but to give the Federal Trade Commission more authority and less authority to Heise. Um The reason why is because the court had ruled that as it was, it was unconstitutional. Lo and behold, the court came back yesterday and said, too bad about this new language. It's not good enough. It's still unconstitutional. We have ruled, and Haiza is unconstitutional. Um, again, you know, not digging too deep in the weeds. We'll leave that to our friend Dan Ross from the Thoroughbred Daily News. I don't know how he does it with some of these stories that he writes on Haiza and all the details. But Randy, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer. There's a lot of these things that I don't understand here. But it looks to me like this might be a death now.
1: Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on TV. And I have no idea how this is going to end up. But it's obviously not good. the pro-HISA people, because their attorneys, uh, as I was told, were confident that the changing of the language uh, would alleviate the concerns that the Court of Appeals had and that HISA, they thought, could then be given the green light. And instead, it's pretty much an emphatic red light. Um, The HBPA has clearly had HISA in its crosshairs and they've used for one reason or another and they've used the constitutionality of HISA, their their view of that as the primary uh, mode right now to attack HISA in court uh if it wasn't the constitutionality of it they would have found something else to try to pick against it uh they do not want HISA implemented again for one reason or another and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out maybe the HBPA will uh, will get its wish
2: yeah. I, I honestly am at a loss for words. I, I don't know what to say. I'm sick of it. Imagine someone from another sport, another business looking in on horse racing, you know, the little round oval with everybody in it. Imagine them looking in. It's laughable. It's a laughing stock. We're trying to police ourselves. We can't even do that. I mean, it's frustrating. It's annoying. I, I don't know where we go from here. I'm, I'm sick of it, honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean, Zoe, succinctly, I think you kind of summed up the way a lot of us feel. Now, um, th- there's more legal things to happen. There's another court, the Sixth Circuit. This ruling yesterday was from the Fifth Circuit that is, is also dealing with this case. If they, uh, rule in favor of Haiza, then you would have two different courts with exact opposite rulings. Then there's some, uh, uh, uh sentiment that the supreme court would then take up the case but that's an awful lot of ifs and you know at the end of the day i'm a pro heisa fan i still for the life of me don't have never really understood the just the serious and and almost vitriolic uh uh movement by the national hbpa their feelings toward this i mean that this is some sort of you know bugaboo that this, this is just gonna the sport has to uh you know they have to eradicate i don't quite get it i i mean i think they've been using the constitutionality i don't think i know they've been using the constitutionality aspect of it as a uh, as an argument th- because they know they can use that argument to win in court I don't think a bunch of trainers are sitting around around the shed row in the morning and really arguing about the merits of whether or not this is constitutional or not but you know at the end of the day uh, you're right Zoe I mean you know we're gonna be right back to where we started and you know we kind of look like the gang that couldn't shoot straight uh, you know that that horse racing couldn't come together and move forward on something that not everybody but an awful lot of people thought was really very necessary for the future of the sport?
1: Yeah, I mean, going back decades, there have been arguments that the sport needed some kind of internal policing such as HISA would provide. And the HBPA and some others within the industry have always preached the same mantra. No, we can do it ourselves. We don't need government involvement. Horse racing can take care of it itself. And it never has. The Navarro service incident just pointed out uh glaringly the lack of oversight that the thoroughbred racing industry has uh has enabled of itself and it I mean I'm pro HISA as well but I understand that you know some of the arguments against it but all in all I thought HISA was a good thing and we'll just see what happens it's going to be um it's going to be interesting and very impactful I think uh to the future of the business
2: I'd like to see their plan. If the HBPA have indeed killed Heiser, I want to see their plans moving forward for a better option.
0: Well, Zoe, I think their plan is no plan. I think their plan is the status quo. And, you know, that's the one thing I, I, and I do agree with you, you know, if you're so against this, come up with a, come up with a solution. Because I think if they're saying there's no, if you don't have a solution, then you must be saying there's no problem well, there is a problem. I mean, that, that is obvious and, and we need some sort of solution to that. But I tell you what, enough of that for now. Um, let's get on to something that uh, it's a little bit more fun, um, the Eclipse Awards. And uh, Flightline, of course, was named Horse of the Year. It was an interesting night. I mean, there were a couple divisions that you went into it um, beforehand. You weren't entirely sure who was going to win. You were kind of, you know, thought uh, and that's more fun than you just have, okay, you know, uh, uh, so-and-so wins the uh, so-and-so division with 172 votes and some horse got one uh you know all those no-brainers i thought all along when we talked about this the most interesting division was the three-year-old male cult division and i'm no surprise i didn't vote for epicenter i voted for taba i'm not the least bit surprised epicenter won 155 to taba 66 so uh that malibu uh, apparently where'd zoe go uh apparently that malibu win uh didn't do a oh there you go okay i like that <laughs> what All right. So now we know why you voted for Epicenter. They bribed you with a free jacket, right? (laughs) Right, I I went to
2: Coolmore yesterday. I flew to Kentucky and I visited Lane's End and saw Flightline and I went to Coolmore and uh, yeah, saw a bunch of the stallions and and picked up some swag. So I voted for Epicenter. So um, I'm very happy. All
0: right. Uh, Randy, are you very happy about the outcome of that division? Well, I mean, I, I...
1: look I could could have gone either way I, I thought you could make a, a compelling case for Taba as well I mean in the end I thought epicenter deserved to be the three-year-old champion I didn't that, I didn't really see any surprises at all in the eclipse so I think I voted for every one of the winners except apprentice jockey that was the only one that uh that had a different outcome that I w- would have wanted uh I thought the three-year-old and champion trainer were the two most contentious categories mm-hmm. I thought it was almost a coin flip between Todd Pletcher and Chad Brown uh in the end I thought Pletcher probably deserved it because of his one-two finish in the Belmont Stakes and because he won more Breeders Cup races than Chad did but uh I thought it was a a a very
2: formful
1: night at the Breakers in Palm Beach
2: I thought maybe the steeplechase was a bit of a surprise to me and this is the power of social media Shark Hanlon has been very popular on social media. He's a big personality, a big figure. And a lot of people that don't know a whole lot about the steeplechase racing in this country, I think, just got on the shark bandwagon. I'm not saying he's not deserving. He was incredible when he won over here, but he had one start. I mean, one start. I I just don't see the fairness in that.
0: Zoe, I, I couldn't agree more. That was the one. And it's, you know, it's the least um, important division. I mean, there was 27 abstentions in the voting, but the voters got that wrong. I, I mean, the snap decision was a horse that raced all year long, he even ran third in a flat stakes race. I don't know if you should count that in, in the steeplechase voting, but he, he should have won that one. And, you know, maybe all the people that say that they don't know anything about steeplechase racing, so therefore don't vote. Maybe they, ha- they have a, a point because they, they um. Uh, voted for the wrong horse there um in the trainer race Randy I agree that was the uh, flip of a coin I also voted for Todd Pletcher uh and it was 108 to 95. do you think anybody penalized Chad Brown for his off the track problems this year
1: it's entirely possible I think it would be a shame if it was the case because I think things like that just like with Bob Baffert and Medina Spirit I know a lot of people didn't vote for Medina Spirit last year for champion three-year-old because of of Baffert's medication transgressions uh, it would be a shame if that happened. I think it should be based totally on on-track uh, performance, but it wouldn't surprise me if it if it had some role in it.
2: The Eclipse Award swayed me. I mean, Todd Pletcher's Eclipse Award ballot certainly swayed me. But other than that, I mean, you can make a case for either. either and this is where human voting gets in with Shark Hanlon, with Chad Brown. I mean, these are human emotions that nobody can control or foresee. And a lot of that has something to do, it's not purely on facts and figures.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it cost Chad Brown the Eclipse Award or not, but I would agree with you, Randy. It, it shouldn't have. It shouldn't have. It's not something that anybody should have weighed in, into the voting. I don't think it should matter what the guy did as a horse trainer this year. Um, And he had an absolutely excellent year. But having said that, I voted for Pletcher because many of the same reasons that you said. I mean, the three Eclipse Award winners, the one, two in the Belmont Stakes, you know, a really special year. Then I was interested, too. We knew there was going to be some backlash against Flightline. And there was um, there were seven votes that were either for another horse for horse of the year or abstentions. I mean, someone voted for country grammar for horse of the year, which is just silly. I honestly uh, thought there might be a little bit more of a backlash that, you know, there might be uh, 25 no votes for Flightline. So by and large, you know, everybody seemed to be okay with the three race uh season that he had we all wish it were you know six seven eight races it is what it is but i, I mean it, you he was the horse of the year there's no doubt about it and again you know i'm not going to scream at the people that decided not to vote for him or everybody take their votes away and that kind of stuff no you know people a couple people made us uh tried to make a statement but but just only a couple at the end of the day flight line was as dominant as you would have expected
1: yeah i mean i put that in the same category with uh, what i said about baffert and what i said about chad brown I mean, for someone not to vote for Flightline as brilliant as he was for Horse of the Year, because they have an ax to grind with the ownership retiring him, uh, what they consider to be prematurely, I think uh, it's not fair Uh, and it it shouldn't be factored in. Uh, But clearly with six people, I suppose it was.
2: The TDN Writer's Room is brought to you by Keeneland. And as we just discussed, guys, all 10 horses recognized as flat racing champions at the Eclipse Awards, have a connection to Keeneland, either through the auctions or the races. Listen to this. Seven champions were graduates of the Keeneland sales, including six alumni of the September sale. Horse of the Year and Older Dirt Male Flight Line won the Breeders' Cup Classic at Keeneland. And two days later at Keeneland's November sale, a 2.5 ownership interest sold for $4.6 million. So if you want to get to the Eclipse Awards, think you better start shopping at Keeneland. We'll be right back after these messages from Keeneland. If this place could talk, it would roar. It would say, this is a racing, this beating heart in the heart of horse country,
3: steady and strong beneath the roar, reminding us
0: why the love of the horse for generations
4: to come. Spite's Town. 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 Money. Echo Town. Town. Town.
1: Town. 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 It's Echo Town for Go Palamo and Echo Town. Breaks the way, and Echo Town is drawing away
0: in the stretch. Echo Town wins the Allen Turkey.
4: A sire line so prolific, it repeats itself. Echo Tower.
2: The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Coolmore. Now, if I look a bit bleary eyed, I just got back from Kentucky and I did get a chance to visit Coolmore. Picked up some nice epicenter swag, and uh, according to the guys, they've never seen a horse come to them straight from the races. As good as epicenter looked, he arrived there in Fine fettle. Obviously, he got hurt in the Breeders' Cup Classic, but he is going to go on to a stellar stud career. Korea. I also got a chance to visit Corniche, my old favorite. I haven't seen him since last summer, and he's filled out into a big, beautiful, gorgeous son of Quality Road. And seeing Quality Road and then taking a look at Corniche, uh, he's just going to look just like his daddy. I also got a chance to see Jack Christopher. I haven't seen him since Saratoga as well. Beautiful looking son of Munning. has got that lovely, big, swaggery walk. And then Golden Pal is everything is advertised as well. If you want to take a look at a good looking horse who doesn't look like a sprinter, go to Coolmore and check out Golden Pal.
0: Lots of good sires at Kumar, especially that freshman class that they're bringing in. Hey, guys, let's go look now at the uh, last week's Pegasus World Cup. Uh, Coming up uh, after this segment, we'll hear from Bruce Lunsford, the owner of Art Collector. Uh, You know, I thought the race was pretty much what we might have expected. It was a wide open affair. You know, it didn't it had a. it was, quote unquote, the proverbial great betting race. Did not really have any superstars in the lineup. But, you know, uh, and Art Collector was as a handicapper to me, was very hard to come up with. But, you know, coming up with a winner in that race was was pretty much impossible I mean I think you know the best thing you could have done is put the program page up and just thrown darts at it but hey take nothing away from our collector he ran uh, no doubt the best race of his life he won by four and a half lengths over defunded uh Bob Baffert's horse that came in from the West Coast and you know it was a good race it was a great day of racing the betting, I want to get into that a little bit later, was just through the roof. And I'm sure the people at first racing were very satisfied with the day. And uh, Art Collector was uh, at the end of it, the star, Brandy.
1: Oh, clearly the best horse. Uh, you know, if you had known that Art Collector was going to be, you know, back in peak form, like the form that he had when he won the Woodward or some of those Charlestown races or the Bluegrass as a three-year-old, the Ellis Park race right after that. I mean, he had some really good races back on his form. But his most recent race in the Lucas Classic, he really laid an egg. I mean, that was a race that was not a particularly strong race the way it finished. By the clock, it was a very disappointing sort of race where Hot Rod Charlie beat Rich Strike. And Art Collector set a nice, reasonable pace in that race and then just basically fell apart the last quarter of a mile. It was hard to like Art Collector, even knowing Bill Mott does so well with horses coming off layoffs, off of that Lucas Classic. And I think Karen McLaughlin, a smart guy, the jockey agent of Luis Saez, uh, thought the same thing. I mean, he had a a choice uh, between putting Saez on Art Collector or putting him on uh, Get Your Number, who was on Get Her Number, who was another long shot in there. And he ultimately chose Get Her Number instead. And i think a lot of us kind of felt the same way that art collector might not be uh, quite the same horse that he had been earlier uh congratulations uh, kudos i guess i should say to bill mott uh, uh, you know hall of fame trainers like that can have an impact not just in preparation of the horse but in strategy uh w- when we were doing the race for nbc yeah you know, we try to talk to all the trainers some of the owners all the riders beforehand doing our research jerry bailey had a chance to talk to bill Mott. And Mott told Jerry a couple of days before the race, look, with Defunded in there, with Stiletto Boy in there, uh, I'm going to try to change things up and tell Junior Alvarado to ease Art Collector back off the pace. And we'll try that tactic uh, and see if it works. And I think that was key to the outcome of that race. Maybe he would have been good enough to win anyway because he was dominant. But uh, he certainly, that change in tactics worked well for him, Zoe.
2: Well, if I'd have been watching your telecast, I would have known that because I did not know the tactics going forward. And with uh, Sayers jumping ship, he's always been a a very good horse, but to me, always maybe a, a, a cut below this year's crop. And boy, did he prove everyone wrong that day? And I think the happiest person there in the winner's circle was Irma Lee Scott. Who when, um, who was the big mare he had? Elate. When Elate left Bill's barn, I can remember her dragging me into the shed row two years ago in 21 and saying, Hey, Miss Zoe, Miss Zoe, I got a new horse. You want to come see my baby? And I'm like, who's your new baby? You just got, you know, Elate just went to the breeding shed. She's like, it's this little horse called art collector. And she led me over to art Collector's stall and he literally just got there and he wasn't much to look at. And I'm like, Oh. Okay, yeah, I remember him. And over the course of that summer and the months, he filled out into this big, beautiful-looking horse. And Armalee Scott, that is her baby. She has one baby in Bill's barn every couple of years, and Art Collector is one of them. And I was glad to see her in the winner's circle. I really was.
0: Yeah. And from a business standpoint, um, First Racing, the Stronach Group, has really succeeded. They wanted to take this day and turn it into an event, a party, just, you know, something that goes well beyond just a horse race. And, you know, that might not be for everybody. A lot of curmudgeons out there and ah, it should be about horse racing, not about some, you know, musical act I never heard of because I'm too old and not cool and everything like that. But look at the handle. They handled 43 million dollars on this. And the last time this day was run as something other than the Pegasus World Cup was in 2016, was still the Don handicap, and they handled 19 million dollars. So they've more than doubled the handle on this race over that period of time, over seven years. And a lot of that is, you know, that whole fly. We talked with Aiden Butler about it when he was the green group guest of the week, uh, last week about, you know, the, the importance of getting people to the racetrack, because that's the way you're going to turn them into racing fans. Nobody's going to go on their ADW and bet on the fourth race at, at, uh, you know crumb nuts downs or whatever and and become a fan of horse racing that way you have to become somebody who loves the game and sees the horses so they really hit it on the head there also interesting afterwards there was a report that they think that they're going to not that they think they said uh, and they do not a lot of specifics but they're going to have pegasus races Next year at Santa Anita. Now, I don't know if that means uh, they're not going to take things away from Gulfstream. So I don't know if that means there will be two Pegasus World Cups, maybe one in, in March. Maybe they'll turn the big cap into the Pegasus World Cup West or something like that. But, Randy, the business was booming. Interesting uh, thoughts about uh, running this, bringing this concept to the West Coast next year. So a lot of uh, lots to talk about there
1: yeah I mean I was there firsthand a lot of NBC's telecasts now are done in the studio up in Connecticut but uh, Belinda Stronic wanted NBC on site at Gulfstream Park largely to promote the sort of party aspect that you're talking about and show people you know exactly what's going on down there I'm older and I'm uncool and I'm not a big fan of one Republic or Kygo or Joe Jonas you know but I was there uh at the party afterward with my uh, college-age daughter and her roommate and my wife who was in the fashion industry and I'm telling you it was elbow to elbow as all of our little NBC group pushed our way up to the front of the stage it was uh it was extremely uh, an extremely successful event and my wife commented she goes to the Kentucky Derby with me every year and she said this the from a you know, a fashion and a lifestyle standpoint, the Pegasus World Cup is like a mini Kentucky Derby. They've done a really good job with that. And if they do choose to take it to the West Coast, I don't see why that concept would be any less successful in suburban Los Angeles uh, than it is in suburban Miami.
2: It'll be a, a maxi. It'll be a maxi Pegasus party. There is so much more room here at Santa Anita. Just imagine bringing all that West now, you know, we were talking about there is another Pegasus statue. Perhaps they'll finally get the rights to erect it here at Santa Anita because that was the long-time dream. But I, can, I can't imagine bringing it west because it's going to be absolutely huge. Now, I wasn't down there this past time. I think I was there for the first three or four, and it was big enough back then. Now, to make it even bigger and bring it west, I think it's going to be fantastic. And first racing is visionary they're, they're moving forward we'll talk in a little bit about the first Saturday series that they're going to have encompassing the first racing tracks this weekend it'll be Santa Anita and Goldstream Park so I think they're just trying to move forward and whether you like it or not they're going to shove this right in your face and Randy, one republic's old have you not <laughs> Do you know one republic I you know. Should know. one republic. they're old
1: <laughs> I mean we're always talking about how important it is to introduce younger people to the races, right? Well, standing in front of that stage, and it was like this, it was elbow <laughs> to elbow. It was like a fraternity party in college. And uh, look, I looked around and I was definitely the old guy among all the people that were around me, just a sea of young people who were having a fantastic time. Now, how much of that is gonna cross over? You know, will you turn those people into horse racing fans who bet on the races? I don't know, uh, but in terms of bringing young people to the racetrack and showing them a fantastic time. It was a huge success. And the lanes in stallion of the week is the newly minted horse of the year, Flightline. The TDN has been conducting a mating plans series where we talk to breeders about their plans for 2023. Last week it was Peter Brandt, which was fascinating. A few mares featured in this series that we know are going to Flightline include grade one winner Dream Tree, Layla, full sister to Express Train. Stakes winner Byroness, Miss Hot Legs, the half-sister to champion Swiss Skydiver. And I was told this past week at uh, at Gulfstream that uh, just retired grade one winner, Delica, strongly being considered uh, for Flightline as well. Flightline stands for $200,000 this year at Lane's End. And now we'll be right back after this message from Lane's End.
4: Flightline is in full flight. Flightline turns it on at the top of the stretch. He's in cruise control. And Flightline takes off.
3: Take a good look at this because you're not going to see this too often, maybe never again. Flightline, 20 lengths clear. World-class
4: racehorse, world-class performance at a world championship event.
1: Today on the TDN Riders Room, we debut a new segment, The Fastest Horse of the Week, brought to you by the Fast Stallions at Windstar Farm. Typically, it will be the horse with the highest buyer speed figure of the previous week. But before we reveal who last week's winner was, let's hear from one of the fast sires at Windstar. Which Windstar Stallion won the grade one Woodward as a four-year-old, just like his sire Curlin, going wire to wire and earning a 104 buyer? won the Peter Pan Stakes in 146.71, the second fastest nine furlong Peter Pan ever. Won six of 10 stakes, including three graded stakes, earning four triple digit buyers. Well, it's Bolt D'Oro's half-brother global campaign. That's an awful lot of fast for just $10,000 at WinStar. And now the fastest horse of the week, yes, art collector, Earned a buyer of 107 in the Pegasus World Cup, but a little more than two hours and before that, and 1,200 miles north of Gulfstream, five-year-old gelding Repo Rocks turned in the week's fastest performance by the numbers, earning a 111 buyer speed figure for his eight-and-a-half-length victory in the seven-furlong grade three toboggan stakes at Aqueduct, It was a fantastic performance for Repo Rocks, who is now three for three since owner Stephen Fox transferred him last November to Parks Racing's leading trainer, Jamie Ness. The toboggan was not only Repo Rocks' fastest race by far, the toboggan was his first stakes win in the 32nd race of his career. It was also the first graded win for jockey Andrew Wolfson, who has now transferred his stack from Penn National to parks racing and that 111 buyer for repo rocks is the fastest earned by any horse thus far in 2023 the green group is an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry with a with over 500 clients in the horse business it has proven strategies to save you taxes you can learn more at www.greencode.com. and now for the green group guest of the week
0: And we welcome in this week's Green Group Guest of the Week, Bruce Lunsford, the owner of Art Collector, the winner of the Pegasus World Cup Invitational. Bruce, let's break some news here on our podcast. There was some talk after the race that maybe he'd be retired, sent off to stud. He is a stallion. He is six years old. What are the plans for 2023?
3: Um, Well, you know, I had I had uh, I've had much time to talk to many people, but I did get to talk to my one of my three top advisors in Seth Hancock yesterday. And, uh, I wanted to make sure he was comfortable. Uh, I think he's, he really loved the race. He loved everything about it. And, uh, I, you know, he and I've had such, I mean, the history of this horse goes all the way back to buying Bunning, and that's been 30 years ago, whatever. Bunning had vision verse, bunning had, you know, two or three other pretty decent horses and then had this Philly, uh, that's distorted legacy that we, that and they always get better. As they get older, they all got better as they got older. And, uh, that's another reason why I felt uh, you know we had a lot of issues with his with his heel, you know the front heel that causes a lot of delays. Um, and Bill and Tommy, everybody that had him, you'd work at it, you'd work on it, you work on it. But this time, we gave the horse plenty of time. And Bill, you know, Bill's a magician. You know, he's he's almost a veterinarian. He finally figured out how to get it, and he he made a point of showing me the other day how it's there, and he push it and do all that stuff. And I think it made a big difference. And so if he continues to hold up, he'll get he'll get several chances during the year, I think, to race. Well, it's great
1: news, Bruce. Congratulations, by the way. It, it's great news that, that fans will get a chance to see more of our collector. Before we came on the air here for the podcast, uh, we were talking about your philosophy about running horses and giving fans a chance to see the horses. Tell us a little bit about that.
3: Well, you know, part of, part of what's helped me in the business is having, having good mentors. And, you know, WT Young was a really close friend to me, did a lot of nice things for me. He gave me uh, a couple of, uh, you know, seasons in Stormcat early. One was the, the one was uh, with Vision and Verse and, and another one that did okay. But I learned from him, you know, you give and then you get to get back. And, uh, what I, what I feel like is, What's one year in your life if you keep them one more year on the track? Or, you know, what does it mean if you, if you uh, make your price, your stallion shares at a reasonable price to get more people involved? And I think you find you get rewarded in many ways. And, and I, I, I felt like in this case, um, it's pretty well made the decision if he didn't get blistered in the race that we would run him. And, um, and I, and I'll have, you know, have more information with Seth and all that, but, you know, Bill's Bill's been told by me that if he if he does well, we'll continue. And I, I think that was a pretty good race the other day. It gives us a chance to take that shot. And you know, I remember the old days. I mean I remember the old days when they made Secretary to Horse because of what they did with Penny and all that. I remember what Paul Hancock when he was engaged in the game and, and the way Travers became such a big race and then the upsets at Saratoga, all these things that people actually got engaged in. We're we're in a society of doing this all the time. And I think those of us in the horse business who like the horse business want to enjoy it. And it wasn't meant to be your main source of living for everybody. It was meant to be you know, a, a, something like owning a baseball team or a football team or something. And I think I think we need some owners that have the capability. You know, Judd Model race them for a while. Some of these other guys will, and and certainly, uh, you know, even the guy that that owns Rich Strike. You know, this is an experience of a lifetime. He's going to keep that horse on as long as we stand it. I think. And I just I feel like we need more of that in the game. You know, they if if you watch the Super Bowl. Playoffs and all that. You see, you see how much it takes out of people. How many get hurt? How many things happen? But they still show up every day, and they still get to the field. And um, you know, I I love I love excitement. That was terrific excitement. Makes your blood pumped. And and your friends. I mean, I I know you don't know all these guys, but when we we watched it in the in the uh, in the paddock, you know where you got the big TVs and that. And I had two close friends here: Greg Hudson, Jim Navolio, and David York. And um, when he when he when he passed the finish line, I had one hit me from the back, one hit me from the front, one hit me from the side. I thought I was about out of my breath, but uh, we made it. We made it out there okay.
0: Uh, Bruce, is is the Saudi Cup and the Dubai World Cup are they possibilities then?
3: Well, I went over last year with him in the, or two years ago in the, uh, in the Saudi race. He didn't like the track. Um, you know, nothing against the people in Saudi Arabia, but I'm not a big fan of Saudi Arabia. I actually stayed in Dubai and flew over to Saudi and then flew back to Dubai because Dubai's a pretty good place and I've been there before. Um, and if, if, if I, if I had the right horse, I would consider Dubai at some point, but, I think I've had enough with this horse. We'll, we'll figure it out later. I think he's going to get good shots. And I talked to Seth about this yesterday, and I've talked to Bill about it, but not in picketing any spot. We're going to let the horse tell us. There's a, I could give you a list of 10 races that would fit him this year, but I want to make sure we do what we did here. We took our time and we got to the right spot right. because he, he's, really a, he's really a lovable horse. I mean, he he works hard. He's got a great caretaker. And, you know, after the race, he was full of himself. You know, I I let him in, but he was, he was just, he was like my dog. I got a big dog weighs about 105 pounds and she does the same thing. The horse was doing. Uh, I I think that's a part of the sport people need to see, you know, if you, if you take the whiskey industry in Louisville and what they've done to make it a major industry in the last five to 10 years, it's unbelievable. I think we got to rethink that. And, and, you know, We may not be a a whole United States sport. We may be more like NASCAR. Uh, I mean, California is hanging on by their fingernails because it's just hard to get horses in races. I mean, you know, if you look at the races this week for the the derby, pre-derby races, you got four in one and five in another. I don't think that attracts fans like a big field. I mean, we had we had, we had twelve horse or we had uh, you know uh, ten horses or whatever we had in the race the other day, and we had two on the also eligible list. That's what makes that's what betters want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to be a guy who picked out of out of twelve horses. I know you feel that way, Randy, because you've been doing this oh, yeah. stuff a long time, and mm-hmm. and I I think that's going to be the secret. You know, I know we got hissa and all these other things of debate, but the real debate is if you think about the horse first. And the industry, second, we'll get there. You just got to get the right players doing it. So one of the issues that he had in the Saudi Cup last year
1: was that he was totally rushed off his feet to try to get to the early lead in what turned out to be a very fast-paced race. Conversely, in the Pegasus, one of the keys to winning, I thought, was the change in tactics where he was reserved a little bit off the pace. How did that conversation go pre-race between you and Bill Mott and maybe Junior Alvarado?
3: Well, you know, Junior's his guy, and uh, and you know, Louis Louis, great speed rider. I'd, I'd put him over anybody. He and he and I ran are probably the two that can ride like that on a regular basis. But but the the issue happened. We also had a race in the at, at Churchill, by the way, which I all the races I've won, all the stakes. I've only won one in Churchill Downs, and I've raced more there than anywhere. Um, but you know, he got the lead fairly easily in there. But, you know, Hot Rod Charlie stayed on him the whole way, and he, he quit. And, and that's when I thought about, well, maybe this is it. And then we just kind of – I said, Bill, take him home, and we'll just think about it and watch what happens, how he progresses. And, you know, we thought about going to a couple of other races. But in the end, I trust Bill's ability to get a horse ready for a big race better than anybody I know. And if we got in a race to get to the Derby – i tell him, take six weeks off and let's go. I don't care. You do what you want to do. And uh, for him, and you, you've seen him do this for years. I know you guys have, where he gets a horse off of a six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. It brings them to the race, and they run through the wind. And he did it again. This was a great masterpiece on his part. And I do think, personally, I think he's the best trainer in the business.
0: Well, speaking of Bill Mott, uh, let's not forget that Tom Drury was the original trainer. Did a nice job, but midway through 2021, you made the decision to go to Mott. Could you talk about why you made that decision? And uh, the horse is six for eight since you've done that, so obviously it worked out well. And then, you know, just uh, what a difference Mott has made.
3: Well, th- there were a couple things that
0: happened earlier. First
3: of all, I gave him to Joe Sharp. And then Sharp had his stuff with, uh, when they, we you know, when they, they took, took a race from me and others. And, that. and I like Joe and I still like Joe, but I just don't want to have that environment around me with my horses. I don't want to have controversy in that you have enough in business and everything else. And, um, so I just brought him home. Tommy's been a home trainer for me for a long time. He took care of Madcap, brought her off. He takes care of the for for Alstall and we have a, we have an incredibly close relationship and, um, but, but when we, when we had the last race at Churchill Downs, I just sat back and, and I, and I went in and talked to Tommy and I know it was, it was a punch in the gut for him. But I said, I said, I want to go to New York because there are the races that get ready for the other races. You've got good, great jockeys, not good jockeys, you've got great jockeys. You've got a lot of things in, in the favor. And Bill Mott has, you know, we go way back to vision and verse and other horses and, uh, when I got through with talking to him about it, staying in touch with him, and letting him deal with my other horses, we're probably closer now than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a partner in the horse because I want him to be, and and we've we've really we've we've kept a great relationship. You know, my, my wife loves his daughter. I mean, we just have a lot of a lot of times with them, and so I think I made the decision on the right terms. Took a little heat for it, and just you know kept my mouth shut and let it happen. And um, when we got ready, won the Aladar the first year off of that long layoff. I thought it was impressive. I thought it did everything I wanted to get done. And then the next race, of course, was our favorite, the Charlestown Classic. (laughs) I think it's a great race. It's like old school. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been there, but it's like old school there. And, And everybody loves art collector there. They all got trophies and pictures and stuff of him and that. But, uh, you know, sometimes you got to do those things.
1: So you mentioned the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act, HISA, the politics of racing right now and kind of colliding with other politics as far as HISA goes. Now, most people in the sport know Bruce Lunford as the owner of Art Collector and Vision Inverse and, and Madcap Escapade and First Samurai and all these other great horses you've had. A lot of the people in Kentucky know you as the guy who in 2008 gave Mitch McConnell the scare of his c- political career when you ran for his Senate seat and very nearly beat him.
3: Politics well, got so much money at the end I, I would have beat him but it kept coming in and droves. He gave all his staff time off, you know, to come in here and campaign against me, walking beside me everywhere I went, but uh, you're right. And it. you know, it was it was a great experience, but it taught me a lot.
1: Twenty million apparently is what Mitch McConnell spent to have to to have to beat you in that two thousand eight race. So now McConnell—that was his extra.
3: That was his extra money. he really spent over thirty. I mean, but it was it was you know that's that's what life's about. I mean, I'm in it to play. You know, there's the old you know the old the country. I like the words in country songs where the guy says, you know, if you have a dream, chase it because the dream won't chase you back. I like that song. That's a good word. That's a way to look at it. I've had a lot of dreams. Some of them come true. Some of them don't. This is a case where actually one came true pretty well. It wasn't the Derby, but it's pretty close experience.
1: So you're I mean, you're very involved in politics. You're very involved in horse racing. McConnell's behind Heisenau. It seems to be a bipartisan push. What's your opinion about that particular piece of legislation?
3: Well, I think some form of of it's got to pass. I, I wish that we would. Let's go back to personal interests again. You go back to personal interests. Like, I don't think, guys, that the, the retire horses are thinking about what they're doing to the people that watch the horse, love the horse and everything else. I think they're thinking about, you know, how they keep the farm alive. How do we make all these expenses? Now, some of them don't need that. But the other side of the coin is, is, is that a lot of people, you know, like like let's take the, the union or the guild or whatever it is that takes care of all the people other than the rich you know, players in the game. Um, they're battling it because it limits them some, and they're being pumped to, to battle it because there are people in their best interest are not to have HISS around. And my 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 thought process, I think it should be around. And I think it should have strict rules. But Randy, the one thing about the industry that they haven't done, we don't give much penalty out. We don't get the vets involved very often. We don't do it to, to clean house, and I think you got to do that. I mean, I uh, look—the only two players that have really suffered. Uh, one was was uh, Rick uh, Dutrow. and he maybe got he he may, maybe was overkill him because he was a good trainer. Um, and the others in Churchill basically took it on their own back to penalize Bob because he'd had two years in a row of damaging the Oaks in the Derby, and I, I think that's what you got to do. If you're afraid you'll go to jail, if you're afraid that, that you'll be you know, kicked out of your livelihood or whatever else, you'll do a little differently. I mean, I could name all kinds of players who I thought were gone forever and came back through one of the circles. You know, good industries don't do that. They don't let that happen. We're also not well known enough publicly. It's not like being a football player or baseball player or big sport with big interest or soccer even. We don't have that kind of an audience. We may be better with a tighter audience. That's why I said earlier about, about you know than than a the car racing. And look at what a job they've they've done over the years. Uh Formula One is one of the great events I know. It's not my event, but it's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting when you watch it. Um we got to continue to do that. And I do I do compliment what NBC's trying to do. They're trying to make it more interesting. And, you know, so, so is Fox. I mean, we got people that are trying. All we got to do is not not handcuff them. Take them, take them, put them out there and let them spend their money promoting us the way they have others. Nike's the all-time example how to market.
0: Well, Bruce Lunster, we want to thank you so much uh, for your time being the Green Group Guest of the Week. Great to know that our collector's coming back and you're determined to race them as often as possible. That's a breath of fresh air in a game where we don't get too many owners to do that. Bruce, thanks again for your time and good luck with our collector. Okay, well, just remember
3: Bill makes the decisions on that, not me. Okay. Okay. I'm not about to take on that (laughs) risk by myself. All right.
1: Okay. Take care, fellas. The Green Group guest of the week, Bruce Lunsford, will receive a free one-hour tax consultation. You can learn more about the Green Group, an accounting and tax consulting advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred business at www.greenco.com.
4: Why do the most successful owners, breeders and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisor? We simply save them money and know how to make them more successful. Over the past 40 years, founder Leonard Green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport. His in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies has produced positive results for his clientele and has made the Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website, at www.greenco.com the green group proven strategies to save you taxes
3: here in pennsylvania
4: we're
1: proud of our breeding program the best in north america but we're also proud to be leaders in this industry the pa horse breeders association is funding cutting-edge research at penn vet to detect gene doping in thoroughbreds and we endorsed the safe act to help
3: protect the most vulnerable horses Plus, we're pleased to support the aftercare
1: programs set up by our horseman's groups. Just a few of the reasons why you should join us in Pennsylvania, the premier place to breed and race. The TD and Writer's Room is brought to you by the PHBA. Nominations for the two-year-old Pennsylvania Sired Pennsylvania Bread Stallion Series. Open now. The nomination fee, $500 if paid by March 31st. A reminder of the series being expanded in 2023. The first two races will run at the end of August on the annual Pennsylvania Day at the Races, followed by the second leg on September 23rd, Pennsylvania Derby Day, and the last leg at the end of December.
0: Well, this part of the podcast each week we like to do our three-year-old watch. There were a couple races over the weekend. You had the San Vicente at Santa Anita, but the big story is clearly Arabian Night in the Southwest Stakes. And you know, you look at this horse and you want to reserve yourself a little bit. Should we really be going overboard about a horse that's only raced twice? And this was his first stakes of performance in a grade three. I think it's okay to go overboard. The $2.3 million two year old purchase has looked phenomenal for Bob Baffer, breaking his maiden at Keeneland, then coming back in the Southwest. I granted he kind of had everything his own way, but this is a very, very talented racehorse. TD Thornton in the TDN's top 10 for, excuse me, I do think he does a top 12 for the Kentucky Derby, had Arabian night number one coming into this race. You know, we got to see more, you know, I don't, again, I don't want to get too carried away. But on the other hand, uh, Randy, it's pretty hard not to get very excited about this horse. Even with all Forte has accomplished and the Breeders' Cup winner and Eclipse Award winner, I think this is the best three-year-old.
1: Oh, and, you know, I mean, we, we watch him on our computers or watch him on TV or so maybe, you know, watch the workouts. Zoe's seen him uh, firsthand out there. Zoe, and I remember last week you were talking about what an amazing looking specimen he is.
2: I'm pretty sure I said I'd like to date him, you know, if he was a man. I mean, he is hubba hubba gorgeous. And he ran to his looks. He really did. And I think maybe one of you two were talking about maybe rating him. Uh, Baffert, Velasquez. (laughs) Yeah. Sloppy racetrack. Bob's not conceding to anybody. They just went, never looked back, never looked like a loser at any point. He's bred to love the wet track. And I think if you look back the history of all of the Triple Crown preps at Oaklawn, it's always raining. I've been there for enough of them. You pack wellies in a raincoat, even if it says it's going to be 70 and sunny, because it will rain, even if it's right before the start of the race. You will get wet if you're going for a Triple Crown prep. He was fantastic. He's come back in good order. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next. He was squarely much the best in that race.
0: Now,
1: I thought he was going to, in all fairness, I thought he was going to have to be rated out of necessity uh, because Corona Bolt on the inside uh, had speed, had sprint speed. And, and having talked to Brad Cox, who was out at Gulfstream Park, I mean, the strategy was to go to the lead with Corona Bolt and force Arabian Knight to rate a little bit off of him. But Corona Bolt was a complete no-show. I mean I mean he was down on the inside first time on a sloppy track first time around two turns although it was also the first two turn race for Arabian night and Corona Bolt just was never a factor at any point early in the race And the you know, Arabian night did his thing as you as you said he would and looked extremely impressive it, to me I mean Baffert's got all these options he's got all these all these three-year-olds but to me uh now it looks like uh at least partially the Oakland route to the Triple Crown uh would seem to be in play Although I wonder if they want to ship him twice more from Santa Anita to Oakland uh, before the before the Kentucky Derby. But he's certainly a very nice horse.
0: Randy, Bob said after the race that he really like, wants to space this horse's races out. And it would be pretty unconventional, but I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him again based on that comment until the Arkansas Derby. And Baffert, who doesn't like to travel, he had defunded in the Pegasus World Cup. He had Faiza in the Las Virgenes, uh, and he had uh, Arabian Night at Oakland Park. He showed up at Oakland Park. Actually, I really think that 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 shows you what he was thinking of his contingent that day and how special uh, this horse was. A Faiza won, and of course, defunded was second in a $3 million race. The other prep over the weekend was, you know, somewhat of a prep, the San Vicente. Baffert won with having a meltdown he said afterwards that he thinks this horse is just a sprinter. Maybe the horse that ran second, also, of course, trained by Baffert Faustin, uh, will be someone to be heard from um, down the line. And, you know, I, I know this is a little bit of a sore subject, but we've got to tackle it in, in some regard here. We've never seen, and even with Baffert, we've never seen anything like this. One, two, three in the Sham Stakes. One, two, three in the San Vicente. Arabian Knight, you know, as good as he is. Honestly, right now in the West Coast, Randy, I can't think of off the top of my head, any three-year-old who is a serious derby contender, not trained by Bob Baffert. We're going to see in the Robert Lewis stakes this Saturday. Again, a race, four horses, all of them trained by Baffert. Um, I, 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 to me, it is what it is. Um, y- you know, you can't blame Baffert. You can't blame his owners. And, you know, but it, it looks at, at this point now that there's almost literally no competition for him.
1: Look, I mean, for all those people who thought that the two year ban, uh, that Churchill Downs imposed on Baffert would, uh, would be a serious problem, uh, to his racing stable, I, I, I don't think it's ever been stronger. Uh, I, I have never seen one trainer as dominant in a major circuit as Bob Baffert is right now, uh, in, at, at, at Santa Anita. Uh, for the Robert B. Lewis, which we'll be doing on NBC this Saturday, there were 16 horses that were nominated for the Lewis. He had 14 of the 16 nominees. He's got all four of the horses that are actually that are actually in the race. He's got the best filly in Faza. He's got the two best older horses in Taba and Country Grammar. Uh, he's got some good older fillies and mares as well. I mean, his stable is just more dominant, I think, than it's ever been. I was putting together a list of uh, past performances for some of the top three-year-olds, which I try to update every week. And just looking at the Baffert horses, uh, I did past performances on Arabian Night, Reincarnate, who is a really good horse, the winner of the sham, New Gate, Arabian Lion, Hijazi, Fauston, National Treasure, Having a Meltdown, Speedboat Beach, Gilmore, Mr. Fisk. He's got a whole barn full of them.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, so maybe we'll see uh, 10 Bafferts in the Derby, nine Brad Coxes and Forte from Todd Pletcher. It's kind of looking like that at this point. Okay, so let's talk about the Robert B. Lewis, um, the four Baffert runners in here. You know, again, and with a lot of these races, he's, throwing out the junior varsity and still dominating these races he's got Arabian Lion Newgate Worcester and hard to figure a hard to figure would be the uh real long shot among those four um I think it's probably comes down to Newgate or Worcester even though Worcester is still a maiden after two lifetime starts he ran a good second last time out got a 94 buyer and in to show that this isn't just in stakes races Worcester has run twice in maiden races and both times was beaten. By Bob Baffert, horses in maiden races. So this extends beyond just the stakes company. But uh, you know, you're not going to get another Arabian Knight out of this race, Randy. But uh, you know, early on, who do you think is uh, the winner of this thing?
1: Well, I think Newgate will probably be the favorite, although I think in the Sham Stakes. He, he trailed early it was a five horse field and he was only like maybe four lengths off the pace but I thought that was a perfect trip for him in that race because it was an exceptionally fast pace in the sham that should have played right to Newgate's strengths and he rolled up to reincarnate at the top of the stretch like he was going to blow by him and then at reincarnate just would not let him by or Newgate wouldn't go by I don't know which was which the chicken or the egg there but it was a good race numbers wise for Newgate uh, regardless even though he was beaten in a photo Arabian Lion I don't know what happened to him in the Los Alamitos future he was two to five in that race uh he got a pretty decent trip and he came up completely empty for the final quarter mile he's come back and trained exceptionally well since then uh you know I'll be talking to Bob this week in preparation for our telecast I'm curious to see what he's got to say about that you would almost think it would have to be something amiss an illness, or you know, some explanation for that race for him to come up so empty. Uh, and Worcester, he's a maiden, but he had a, you know really good number last time. He, Worcester and Newgate are both owned by the Avengers. Uh, I don't think Santa Anita would have allowed the race to go with a three-horse field. I'm almost positive they wouldn't. I'm wondering if perhaps because he's a maiden, even though he's a nice horse. Uh, Worcester was entered in the Robert B. Lewis to make sure that the race went with a with a four-horse field. But regardless, I mean he's a nice horse and he's got a chance in there, Zoe.
2: Yeah, he's a very nice horse. But Arabian Lion, I think, is going to be back to tip top form. I've seen him train, I've seen him in person of late. I don't think anyone really knows quite what happened to him over at La Salle, and sometimes what happens at La Salle stays at La Salle. Um, he's worked formidably well. 58 and four, the last time he had another gate work, 59 and three. He's a beautiful looking son of Justify out of the distorted humor, Mare Unbound. And he'll definitely be the one to beat in here. I think Johnny V will just send him from the get go. He's drawn in the one hole. Uh, I think it's going to be all over for Arabian Line. But I just want to toss in another three year old. I don't know if you guys are watching the races on Sunday. Um, There was a three-year-old that won very, very nicely, beating a Bob Baffert-trained three-year-old. This one was trained by Dick Mandela, owned now by Pinnock Stud, the first horse that Bernards bought, and his name is Go Rocket Ride. And he is a beautiful-looking horse, and he won like a good thing. So don't be surprised to see Dick Mandela throwing his hat in against Bob Baffert pretty soon.
1: And I think he got a 91 driver speed victory, yeah, in that race as well. So he ran
0: fast.
2: He's a good horse. Yeah.
0: He's a really He'd good ask horse. he Bob to have some competition. All right, so let's head back to uh, the uh, Florida for the Gulfstream Park. 12th race on Saturday, the Holy Bull. Um, this is the case the big boys have not come out yet. Um, you know, the, the, the top talent, including Forte, who's pointing for the Fountain of Youth, are clearly not in this race. Got a couple interesting horses. Cyclone uh, Mischief ran a big race last time out for Dale Romans. Uh, jumped up and ran a career-best 90 buyer. Was for First time Lasix has to take Lasix off for this race. Legacy Isle crossed the wire first in the Mucho Macho Man stakes for trainer Rohan Crichton, but was disqualified. Uh, Randy, I don't think we have a, a Kentucky Derby winner in this field, but could be wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, the big boys aren't out yet, but Dale Romans thinks he's got a big boy and, and so Cyclone Mischief. Uh, he's well-bred. He's buy into mischief. Uh, yeah, he looked really good in that one-mile allowance win with that 90-buyer speed figure. uh, uh Before that, he ran in the Kentucky Jockey Club, instant coffee beat him, and he was up on a pace that was very slow that you'd think would be advantageous to a horse. It was just a half length off the early pace, but he faded, was beaten two and three quarters. Um, You know, that kind of leads me to believe that he's not going to be an A-list Kentucky Derby horse. But hey, I mean, we'll find out in the Holy Bull exactly uh, what Dale Romans and Tammy Fox have in the barn.
2: I like Rocket Can on the outside, and I'm a massive Dale Romans fan. This is a horse I've I watched all summer long train, and I think he's kind of maybe not the smartest tool in the shed, and he's just getting it all together. And I think he's finally just about got it all together. And I, I'm I'm going with the Louis Sayers off, Alvarado on factor for Hall mm. of Fame of Belmont. It'll be Rocket Can on the outside for me
1: the only other yeah. horse there bill that i could see sorry to interrupt there would be uh, yeah. you know for your uh, for your wagering purposes and your trifectas and things like that maybe even exactus, would be the one horse lord miles mm-hmm. uh he's had two lifetime starts even when he broke his maiden uh in november at Gulfstream by five and three quarters lengths he was very green during the running of that race well with the kickback and he looked like he he was stopping around this around the turn and he was going to you know drop back and run toward the back of the pack and then he comes again and and winds up winning impressively and then he gets beaten in the mucho macho man and again he was very green and running in spots so they're putting uh Safi Joseph is putting the blinkers on Lord Miles uh sometimes it can really improve a horse that's got that sort of greenness to him and running in spots so I wouldn't be surprised to see Lord Miles run a better race don't know if it's going to be good enough to beat Cyclone Mischief but he should improve
0: And he gets Irod Ortiz, uh, which is certainly a major factor in there. Uh, At Aqueduct, we're supposed to be very cold this weekend in New York. They have the Withers. Looks like a small field at this point. Arctic Arrogance, a second in the Jerome and second in the Remsen, will uh, likely be the favorite in that spot. So we'll see a little movement on the road to the Kentucky Derby this weekend with the Holy Bull, the Robert B. Lewis, and the Withers.
2: The TDN Writers Room is brought to you by XBTV. XBTV is one of the best tools in the game. And I most certainly can attest to that. Let's take a look at two Jonathan Thomas trainees. That is based on the outside and experienced on the inside. They worked at Palmetto's on January the 27th, not just at Santa Anita. We're all the way across the country with XB TV. Now, BayStorm will run in the grade three megahertz at Santa Anita Park this weekend, and Experience will run on Friday at Goldstream. So we're already giving you a leg up on your handicapping. We'll be right back after this message.
4: All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends, and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com. The TD and
1: Riders Room is brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. Joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie among people surrounding high-class horses and stake action for just a fraction of the cost of trying to do it on your own. You can learn more at westpointtb.com. West Point has a horse right now on the Oaks Trail. Uh, Vava ran third in the Untappable in December. She'll be running in the Rachel Alexander in a couple of weeks at the fairgrounds. And speaking of Horse of the Year Flight Line, part-owned, By West Point, Zoe, you had a chance to get up close and personal with Flightline this past week.
2: Uh, Yeah, I can tell you he settled in really, really nicely at Lane's End Farm, gets turned out, runs around. They said as soon as they got into the farm, they could have turned him out in their biggest paddock. And he did not bat an eyelid, just pure class, settled in very nicely and looks terrific. You can just see he's just going to blossom into this horse that people are just going to be climbing over each other to breed to. He's a beautiful horse.
0: And the Remy cartoon of the week is in an apropos to what's going on. we started the podcast with Haiza. He's got Haiza, one horse and another. They're in court and they're saying, oh, okay. And, and trying to settle all these matters and solve all these headaches. So Remy uh, Belloc takes his uh, take on Haiza. Well, that's it for another week's edition of the TDN Writers Room podcast. I want to thank our Green Group guest of the week, Bruce Lunsford, our producer, patty wolf our associate producer katie petruniak my co hosts randy moss and zoe capman as well as our editors anthony laraca dalia laraca and nathan wilkinson we'll see you next week thanks for listening